0: Through some of the book of Daniel. When I think about this book, what a powerful book. And we're walking through some, but not all, because this book gets into a lot of um, end time prophecies. And since our next book we're going to cover is Revelation, we're going to save that for them. But when we think about the book of Daniel, uh, one theologian, Sidlo Baxter, said this The book of Daniel is full of supernatural marvel, both in the events which it records and in the visions which it describes. But its interest is eclipsed by its importance, for it preserves to us not only unique links in the chain of history, but also vital keys to the interpretation of prophecy. And let me just say this from the beginning this morning. You know, a lot of messages, what pastors try to do is we try to go after your, your head, give you some, some nuggets, but also go after your heart. And today's message is kind of set up, um, it's going to a lot of loving God today with our mind. Um, thankfully, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So um, just leading us to love our God, not with our just our emotions, but also with our learning. So that's kind of where we're headed. So the book of Daniel is divided neatly into two parts. So the first six chapters are biography. If you've ever wondered why the book of Daniel is not in order, it's simply because of that. First six chapters are biography telling the story of Daniel's deportation to Babylon, his adventures in the courts of um, different pagan kings where he and those with him took their stand for the God of Israel. When we come to Daniel 7 and the remaining six chapters, the book changes from being a biography to prophecy. So the last six chapters detail four visions that Daniel had in the last 20 years of his life. And so we're calling this series, as we said before, Stand, because in it we see the followers of God standing. In it, like we're going to see today, we see God's plans and purposes forever standing. And through this book, we are being called as his followers to take our stand in the midst of this world, in the middle of his plans and purposes that have never and will never fail. And last week, thanks to Pastor Jordan, we saw Daniel standing strong even in the face of deceitful enemies and prideful decrees and hungry lions, all while Daniel was praying consistently and passionately, which is the key um, to it all and which is the, the key to our life and victory within it. And this morning we're taking on Daniel 7. And this is kind of weird, and I'm going to kind of set this up. So Daniel 7 is kind of the second dream. Daniel has a dream. Nebuchadnezzar has pretty much a similar dream in Daniel 2. Strangely enough, we're taking on the part two first, and then next week we're going to look at Daniel 2. So we're going to kind of get it out of order, but hopefully next week, by next week, it'll all come together. That is, uh, Lord willing, the plan. But kind of the deal is, this morning we're taking on Daniel 7, and I pray that we're going to be amazed by that which is to come, while at the same time standing in awe of that which is true even now, which is what we are titling this message, Stand in awe all history has a point history is heading somewhere and thankfully there is someone who is making sure that it gets there that is the point of Daniel 7 that history is heading to a particular point and there's someone who's making sure that it is going to get there exactly when it needs to get there And this chapter, Daniel 7, has been called the single most important chapter in the book of Daniel because it includes probably the single most important revelation in all of the Old Testament. But here's the weird thing. This prophecy came between chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Daniel. So this prophecy actually came before Daniel went to the lion's den. Strangely enough, when Daniel has this prophecy, he is 68 years old. Now, most of the time when we think of Daniel in the lion's den, we think of young Daniel the stud in the the lion's den. But the picture is Daniel is older. I mean, think Brother Curtis um, is is the picture of, I missed you last week, Brother Curtis. Um, But just just think that and, and, or don't think Brother Curtis, think someone else. But Daniel has this dream in which he is alarmed and he is shaken to the core by this dream and really by a vision. How many of you guys have ever had a crazy dream? A couple nights ago, I had a dream that the church, I think it was, I'll blame Brother Curtis for this one. We decided it'd be a great idea for, to invest in a, um, in a, a fish tank, a, a, huge, no, aqua- a huge aquarium right behind us. And somebody decided it'd be great to have sharks in it. And somewhere in the middle of the service, it started cracking. I could only tell you how you guys responded. Let me say in that moment, you weren't thinking about your pastor at all. I'm terribly upset by the way you guys acted, let me just say, I'm ashamed of you, but you know, we have all kind of different crazy dreams, and last week while on vacation, I did a little research of some way that dreams are interpreted, so let me just, as a public service, just give you a few. If you've ever had a dream that you're falling, falling dreams are a sign that something in your life isn't going well. So. Just in case you wondered, if you've ever dreamed that you're being chased, such dreams mean that you're trying to avoid something in your daily life or um, you are trying to escape fears or desires in your life. If you've ever dreamed about dying, these dreams reflect anxiety about change or fear of the unknown. If you've ever dreamed about taking a test or failing a test that you were not prepared for, it reveals an underlying Fear of failure. If you've ever dreamed about flying, I'm not, I'm not just talking about in a plane, I'm talking about like really flying. Um, there's two different sides there. On one hand, such dreams can represent feelings of freedom and independence. And on the other hand, they can indicate a desire to flee from the realities of your life. If you've ever had a dream about being pregnant, it indicates that you're developing some area of potential or deepening a relationship. Now, if you're a man and had that dream, it means you either had bad um, Mexican or you had food poisoning. One one or the other probably with that. If you've ever had dreams of waking up while you're still asleep, it means that you are worried about the upcoming day and you are unsure whether you are fully prepared for that which is to come. And if you've ever had a dream, according to different doctors and um, people who analyze dreams, if you've ever had a dream that you were unclothed in public it means that you are afraid of truly revealing yourself now that's as far as i'm going to go with my dream interpretation take that for every whatever you do like we said though um, a couple weeks ago just because we have a crazy dream does not mean that god is speaking to us Um, but in this case there was a crazy dream and god was indeed at work this dream not only provides, this vision didn't just provide hope to a discouraged people then 2,500 years ago, it also provides hope to us. Some of us, a discouraged people even now. These promises are just as comforting now as they were then. And what we see in this vision, Vision in this chapter is unlike the kingdoms of this earth. Our God will reign graciously, powerfully, and praise God, he will reign eternally. So may we stand in awe of that. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. We're going to read chapter 7, verses 1 through 22 together. And it says this. And when you see it in your Bible or on the screen, let me hear you say. So in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions Of his head as he lay in bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was a lion and had eagle's wings. And as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, What was left with its feet, it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His thrones were fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court set in judgment and the books were open. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet and about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, the horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we thank you that your word does not just show us what has been and what is. Praise God, Lord, your word shows us what is coming. And we can just... We can lift and we can place our lives upon your word, knowing that what you have said will come true. Lord, just speak to us today by your word. May we stand in awe of that which we see. Speak, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be See this. So let me just real quickly summarize this vision. So one night, Daniel has a dream which includes visions within a dream. He saw four winds stirring up the great sea. Then, without warning, four beasts um, emerged from the sea, one after another. First came a lion with wings, then a ferocious bear that was stronger on one side, then a leopard with four wings and four heads then an unidentified beast more terrible than the first with iron claws and ten horns on its head as daniel watched an eleventh horn came from among the ten and conquered them the little horn began to boast of its power and blaspheme god and at that moment thrones appear in heaven in the ancient of days which is always a picture of god a term for god He comes to judge the world. The little horn, the fourth beast, are destroyed. They're cast into the burning fire. Then Daniel sees the Son of Man coming in power and glory to set up his kingdom on earth. You are dismissed. Not quite. But just think about what that means for us 2,500 years later. And here's what I know. Have you ever played with the magic eight ball? So some of you um, are admitting it. Some of you, you're scared to admit it because you're in church. Um, but in 1950, the Mattel Toy Company basically thought of a, what they thought would be a fun way, some in this room and others a, sat- a very satanic way, um, to ascertain the future. So you would ask a yes or no question. You would shake up this eight ball, and then one of 20 different answers would uh, pop up as a response. Now, these answers or with these answers there were 10 positive responses there were five kind of non-committal and then five that were different ways to say no so with 20 different responses you were basically guaranteed to receive the reply that you wanted um, in some form or fashion and perhaps it's our ins- insatiable desire to know the future that led to this toy becoming so popular not just in the 50s but the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s all the way through but here's the deal Through this eight ball and through other things, even though there's laughs and even though there's disappointments, we quickly learn that this little thing in our hand is not an accurate predictor for anybody's future. And all other human attempts to know what is coming are just as futile or just as silly. Thankfully, praise God, efforts like this are unnecessary because we have this book that tells us what's coming. We know what's coming. Now, what we know is this book doesn't give us an exhaustive list of every detail that's coming, but this book does give us a sufficient list of that which is coming. And ultimately, we know that in the end, our God wins. That is what we know. So let's dive in this morning and look at three truths That should leave us as God's people, 2,500 years later, looking back and looking ahead, leave us standing in awe. So number one is this, stand in awe of the things that will happen on the earth. Stand in awe of the things that will happen on the earth. Sinclair Ferguson, a great man of God, notes that what we have here in Daniel 7 is essentially a book of pictures appealing to our senses. We are meant to see, hear, and even smell the strange beast that appear throughout this chapter. We're meant to be just as overwhelmed as Daniel was. Look at verse 3. Four great beasts came out of the sea different from one another. The four great beasts represent four kings or four kingdoms, nations that will rise up. The great sea, where they came from, is to be represented or understood symbolically as the raging chaos, confusion, and conflict among the nations of the world. And just so, in case you're following along at home, the nations of this world are still confusing and chaotic, um, and there's conflict everywhere. But these four beasts symbolizes a succession of world powers, beginning with Babylon, which is reigning um, at that time. We have the picture of a lion with eagle's wings, representing Babylon. Then from Babylon, you go to the Medes and the Persians, which was the bear um, stronger on one side, meaning that the Persians were stronger than the Medes. Then from there, you go to the, the leopard with the four wings and the four heads, pointing us to Greece, ultimately pointing us to Alexander the Great and his swiftness of conquering the world, which would then lead us to another terrifying creature, more terrifying than all of them, pointing us to Rome. And not just a picture of a nation that would come and go, which it did, but also a system that would stay throughout the entire system of this world, that when we get to Revelation, guess who's there? Rome. And so we we get this picture, but here's what we see through this. Empires come and empires go. They are temporary. Each one will fall. But just because these kingdoms are temporary doesn't mean that the damage they cause is minimal. From the time of Adam and Eve, the serpent has masterfully fought to get us to not worship the one who created us to get us to even run from the one who created us. Praise God, all throughout the word of God, there is a remnant of believers that God um, has kept and has always remained. But when we read the word of God, the overwhelming population of history has lived and died in their sin as enemies of God. That's what we read from the word of God. The people who lived and died in their sin believing that a earthly empire would hold them and help them and even save them. That takes us to verse 8. Listen to verse 8. There came up among them, so this fourth kingdom, another horn, a little one. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. This little horn is a future world leader that scriptures call the prince who is to come, the king who shall do as he wills, the man of lawlessness, the man doomed to destruction, the beast, and also called the Antichrist. As John tells us, whose spirit is already here in this world. The word Antichrist means... Against Christ or in the place of Christ. And the astonishing thing, get this, that Daniel here some 2,500 years ago gives us the first extended revelation in the Bible about the Antichrist. It's amazing to think about what God is doing that our God knows all. But here's the deal. Everything that God has created, Satan tries to counterfeit. God has a king named Jesus who rules over the kingdom of God. In the same way, Satan has a counterfeit king, the Antichrist, who rules over the kingdoms of man. According to Daniel, the Antichrist starts out small and quiet, yet grows to be large and loud. And if you're wondering what that means in your life, let me tell you. In every single one of your lives and my life, Satan starts out small and quiet. He's looking for just a little compromise, just just compromise, just a little bit, just a little bit. Who cares? Everybody's doing it. People don't think that way anymore, just a little compromise. Starts out small and quiet, and before we know it, he is ruining our lives, reigning in our lives, and he is loud, he is boisterous, and he's obnoxious. This is what happens, and this is what what will happen, but this is what happens in our lives. Yet here's the deal. Anything that Satan does, or anything that the Antichrist does, any power or control that they have or will have, get this, has been given to them by God and will be taken away from them by God. Look at verse 11. In verse 11 it says, I looked then because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, so blasphemous words. And as I looked, the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. It, according to the word of God, the Antichrist will be cast into the lake of fire. Even the devil himself, according to Revelation 20, will join him in the lake of fire, not by choice, but by God's judgment. In fact, it even goes further. Look at verse 18. It tells us what we have in store. But the saints of the Most High, that's you and me, shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and another ever thrown in, just so we get it. Forever, forever, and ever. Let me say it again. History has a point. It is leading somewhere, and praise God, it has someone making sure it gets there. Amen. And surprisingly enough, there will be no hiccups along the way. There will be no hiccups along the way. Listen, this has the, been the craziest year. We have COVID. We have Saharan dust. I mean, if I turn on the news tomorrow and King Kong was on the Empire State Building, I, I wouldn't even flinch. I'd be like, of course he is. I mean, every why, why not? What, what else is going to come? And sometimes if... When we're all these things are thrown at us, we're like, who's in control? God's in control. And there are no hiccups to His control. There are no hiccups along the way. There's not one moment of your life or my life by which God is not in control. May we never, ever forget that. Stand in awe of the things that will happen on the earth. Secondly, stand in awe of the one who sits above the earth. Stand in awe of the one who sits above the earth. So now we are the, the vision goes from shift from earth now to heaven. And the scene is radically different. We're not looking at beasts anymore, but at thrones. And we're told in verse 9, Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. It's wheels, so wheels on the throne. Think about this. God has a four-wheel drive throne, wheels on the throne, burning fire. And then the books were opened. Daniel sees God the Father take his seat on his heavenly throne. If you're looking for something to write down, write this down. There is a throne in heaven, and it is occupied. There's a throne in heaven, and praise God, it is occupied. Occupied. And just a separate thought, let me just take this on. I get so sick and tired of hearing this often heard allusion to God as the man upstairs. I am so sick of that because that is a far cry from what Daniel's describing. Daniel describes the Ancient of Days as one who leaves us in awe and reverence and wonder and even fearful. That's a far cry from a man upstairs that diminishes his power and glory. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters, if you ever say that, let me just tell you, if you ever say the man upstairs, you're lying. Because Scripture says God's not a man. So the whole thing begins with a lie. Everything else after that is just pure nonsense. Stop while you're ahead. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should ever change his mind, meaning God's not like us. He's not like us. So Daniel now describes the scenes of heaven where God is at the center. The phrase ancient of days occurs three times in the Bible, always referring to God as the eternal one. And strangely enough, all three occasions that it appears is here in Daniel 7, verse 9, verse 13, verse 22. And then when we see how he appears, when we see what the ancient of days does, it is clear who he is. He is God the Father. As the Ancient of Days, He is eternal, yet He is not old. This magnificent vision of the Ancient of Days is a calming reassurance in the midst of unknown and uncertain future. His clothes being white show us His absolute purity and holiness, while His white hair shows His wise judgment. Amen, Brother Curtis? I mean, shows how infinitely holy His judgments are. Then we have the fire surrounding His throne communicates swift judgment to the unsaved. Get this. So the fire around His throne signifies swift judgment for those who are unsaved, but also it represents His presence for those who are His. All throughout the Bible, God's the fire speaks of His presence. In Exodus 3, God appeared to Moses in a burning fire. Bush, fire. In Exodus 19, the people of God come to Mount Sinai where God appears to them by fire. God led them for 40 years with a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. So not only does fire, it's bad for those who do not believe, but it is good for those who do because our God is present and He is near. Then we have the wills of His throne. And what the wills show us is this. God's throne is not just set in stone in a certain place. God's wills on the throne means that he can go in any direction but here's what it ultimately means. According to Psalm three: our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. That's what it means. He can go wherever he wants to do and bless God he can do whatever he wants to do because he is God. And here's it took me a long time. I would read Psalm 115 and say, God's in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. But well, that don't sound right. I mean, it's not, it would sound a lot better if God was in heaven and He does what pleases us, wouldn't it? That would sound a lot better until we realized we, don't even, we can't even handle breakfast right. I mean, we can't even go out and eat. We order something. I shouldn't have got that. I mean, we can't even do that right. And our God is able to handle, praise God, handle it all. To handle it all, he is the Ancient of Days. He is incomprehensible. We cannot wrap our heads around who he is. We are left in awe of who he is. But by learning just a little bit of this title of the Ancient of Days, it reveals a little more of who he is, and we are blessed greatly by the revelation. So stand in awe of the things that will happen on earth. Stand in awe. Of the one who sits above the earth and then number three and i had to cut this short so i'm going to add to it number three stand in awe of the one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth stand in awe of the one who has been given authority all authority in heaven and on earth and here's the beautiful thing not only does daniel now give us the culmination of his vision what he is giving us is really the culmination of history Look at it, verse 13 and 14. Behold, with the clouds of heaven. There's something that we always see in Scripture when we think about the clouds of heaven. There came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. So a vision that began like a nightmare with monsters coming out of the sea, now ends happily and hopefully with a man coming out of heaven who has all authority. Just think about what we have here. The phrase Son of Man appears 81 times in the Gospels. And it was a phrase that was always on the lips of Jesus, meaning the Son of Man was Jesus' favorite designation for himself. We use a number of different titles for Jesus. We call Him Savior. We call Him Lord. We call Him Messiah. We call Him Son of God. Ironically, though, the title that we hardly ever use is the one that Jesus used all the time. Son of Man. It's perhaps the most exalted self-designation He could ever use because in the book of Daniel, the Divine One, the Son of Man, is given all authority. We'll come to that in just a second. But just think through this with me. One of the most common ways that Jesus is referred to in the gospel by other people is by the title Christ or Messiah. Now, what does that mean? In that day and age, and even before, the people of, the, the, the people, were in bondage especially at this time to Rome. Rome was dominating them, Rome was enslaving them, and they wanted a Messiah, a savior to come and deliver them from the threat of Rome. You see in their minds they thought their greatest need was a savior from a nation. If we're not careful, brothers and sisters, we begin to think the same way that we need a savior from something bad. We need a Savior from Washington. We need a Savior from that mean bad nation that's to come. And ultimately, Jesus didn't come to be a Savior from Rome. He came to be a Savior from sin. For if their greatest need had been a military power, Jesus would have, have come as Alexander the Great. But that wasn't their or our greatest need. We need a Savior from sin. Therefore, Jesus wasn't all readily. In, in those days, he wasn't ready to receive that title of Messiah or, or Christ because it came with the weird or the wrong thought that Jesus was going to save them from the wrong thing. You see, let me, let me say, kind of, kind of lay it out here. Many of Jesus' contemporaries were willing to trust him as Messiah, but they were not willing to acknowledge him as the Son of Man. Put it in a different way. Many people want Jesus the Savior. They don't want Jesus the Lord. Many people want Jesus that's going to make their life right after they mess it all up, but they don't want that Jesus is going to tell them what to do. They want the Jesus that's going to tell them everything is going to be okay and it doesn't matter what you do, love is going to win. But they don't want the Jesus that looks at you and says, listen, inside you're filled with dead things. Put them away. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Or go and sin no more. People don't want that kind of Jesus, but that we can't divide Jesus. You don't get your own Jesus. It's the ultimate picture of Scripture. You don't get your own. You have to take Him for who He is. And just think about this. In Matthew 26, when Jesus stands before the high priest right before His death, and He's being questioned by the high priest, Jesus says in Matthew um, 26, 26, excuse me, 64, he says, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus looks at the high priest and says, You're going to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. And think about Matthew 28, 18. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does that mean? You know, some people Teach that what that means is this: because Jesus came to earth, and because He went through what He went through, and because He never sinned whatsoever, because He died for our sins, because He rose from the dead, that in raised being raised from the dead, God said, "Well, you made it. So here is the authority." That is not true, because guess what? Jesus had all authority as God before He came to earth. In fact, Genesis 1 tells us he created the earth. He was the one speaking it out. And according to Colossians 1, he's the one that holds it all together. So when Jesus says all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, what's he saying? And what's he saying is this. As he came to the earth as a human, as he connected God and man by becoming the perfect God-man, as he died for our sins, as he ascended back up um, to the Father, the Father then gives him... Authority and power that was his, but now gives him what wasn't his as the God-man. So for the first time, as the God-man, as the one who is able to connect God and man, Jesus has authority in heaven and on earth. And let me just make it very clear. Because Jesus has all authority, it means nothing or no one else has any. Nothing or no one else has any authority. Now, you might say, well, people have authority all over the place. No one has anything that God hasn't given to them or that he can't take away from them. May we never forget it. The world we have entered is a place where every person, every location is under the authority of Christ. When Jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, what he is saying is this. There's not a person who will ever exist who will not be accountable to me. We will all have to give an account to Him. But back to Daniel 7. Let me end it this way. For God, the centerpiece of human history is the first and second coming of Jesus Christ to this world. For this reason, the prophecies jump from the time of Jesus' first coming under the Roman Empire to the time of Jesus' second coming in the last days. Or to put it this way, the next major event that will happen in redemptive history will be the second coming of Jesus Christ for us. That is the next um, major event in redemptive history, our Savior coming in the clouds for you and for me. And with that said, that means that that message is just as encouraging for me 2,500 years later as it was for them. Here's the difference. They knew they were in bondage. Sometimes we forget it. They knew they were not home. Sometimes we forget it. They knew it wasn't how it was supposed to be. Sometimes we forget it. As our world becomes increasingly chaotic, it's comforting for us to know that the rampant, Lawlessness that we see on the evening news, as well as the nonsensical heartache that's happening all over even our neighborhoods, all of those things, praise God, will one day come to an end. Will one day come to an end where evildoers will be punished and suffering will. End at the pleasure of the Father, Jesus Christ will reign over the nations, and every tear will be wiped from our eyes, and we will live in a place of no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more death. Our world is broken, but it will not always be that way. Ultimately, we will win because our Savior has won. Our Savior has won. here's the thing brothers and sisters maybe just maybe all these events that happen in this world aren't meant to make us dig our heels in and say come on let's go maybe they're meant to show us that this world is not our home so that we would cry out all the more come lord jesus come lord jesus this world is not it let me end with the words of of cyril of jerusalem He's a very well-known guy that none of you probably know, but he is an early church father in the church of the third century. And he said this, What we proclaim is not one single coming of Christ, but a second as well, much fairer than the first. For the first presented a demonstration of long-suffering, but the second wears the crown of the kingdom. He adapted himself when he came then and taught humankind by persuasion, but this time it is they who will be forced to bow to his rule, whether they will or not not, let me put it this way, the son of God became a son of man so that sons of men, that's you and me, might become sons and daughters of God. Let me say it again. The son of God became a son of man so that sons and daughters of man might through him become sons and daughters of God. Are you this day trusting the one who is on the throne and will forever be on the throne? And are you this day bowing your knee to the one who has all authority? There is coming a day, brothers and sisters, where the only thing that will matter is what you've done with Jesus. There's coming a day where the only thing that will matter, the only thing that will matter is what you've done to Jesus. There's coming a day which leads us to say this, right now counts forever decisions you make right now concerning christ count forever oh to god that we would see him for who he is and bow the knee now i'm gonna go ahead and ask you to stand we're going to call the musicians forward and let us pray father we come to you and we are so thankful god that you don't just give us the beginning you also give us the end but praise god lord you give us hope for in the middle. There is hope now that you are in control no matter what this world might tell us, no matter what um, news outlet might tell us, God, of all the things that are going on, Lord, you there is a throne in heaven and praise God, you're on it and you will be on it forever. And there is one who came to this earth who is the only Savior of sinners in this world, who stands and offers life to any who would bow their knee trusting him as savior and lord i pray today for any who are in this room or who are listening online or who will listen that have never trusted jesus as their savior today would be the day of salvation today would be the day that they bow their knee to his authority not just wanting a savior from hell but wanting a lord who's lord of life Lord, when we think about all the issues in our world, we are tempted to dig our feet in and fight every way that we can to maintain every form of life here instead of being reminded as those Israelites were in Babylon that they weren't home. In the same way, God, we're not home. We want to do all the good we can as long as you give us here. And we want to point people to you. But ultimately, God, this world is not our home. Come, Lord Jesus. In your name. Amen.